Hey Authority Hackers, welcome to this week's episode. If you are a regular listener, you know that we have been working really hard on shooting the new version of the Authority Site System, which is our course on starting new Authority Sites. And one of the parts that we have revamped the most is the niche research part. It's not that the current one was necessarily bad, but a lot of recent history has changed the way you pick a niche these days. I mean, the COVID crisis, Amazon cutting their rates, Google YMYL, a lot of big media entering the market, and so on. So in today's episode, we decided to share some of these changes and how to pick a niche for 2021 and how it may change from everything you've heard from us or maybe other people before. But before we get started with the episode, don't forget to subscribe if you're on YouTube and click on the notification bell so you don't miss our future episodes and give us a thumb up. It really helps with the YouTube algorithm. So that would be really appreciated if you took the time to do that. Now let's get started with the episode. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome to the Daily Hacker Podcast. Today, we are going to do a bit of a teaser for you of what's coming up with Test 3.0. So it's something that we actually have given access to our members already. So H Pro members and the Authority Site System members have access to this at this point. And it's the brand new version of the Authority Site System, which is essentially the, the course, the most popular course we sell, which teaches you how to start a brand new authority site from scratch. And we have gone a little bit overboard on this because there's over 200 videos in the new version. We have been shooting since June. And honestly, I've had no life since then. I mean, I guess the lockdowns were useful for something. Like it is, it is, it's been quite difficult to be honest, but I think we've done a Good job. And so far, the feedback's been really good. We started releasing some of that. And so today, we're going to be talking about niche research. I did that module, but we talked a lot with Mark about this when we prepared the module. So Mark, how's it going? How do you feel about niche research? And how do you feel about Test 3.0? About niche research, still a bit kind of iffy because you did all that, that, that stuff. So I'm actually looking forward to learning a lot from you in this podcast today. However, I am super happy because I just finished probably the most difficult module in, I think, the whole course, the commercial content stuff. And oh my God, there was a lot to figure out for that because we touched on it briefly in Task 2.0 in some of the templates and we didn't really split out info content and commercial content. But yeah, it has its own module now and it's pretty, pretty detailed. So I'm happy to be done with that. And the end is in sight now. We're getting there. Yeah, I mean, 200 videos is crazy. Like, I think a lot of people are going to be blown away by the depth of this. I'm really excited. I mean, some people have started to see that. So far, the feedback's pretty good. So I'm pretty happy about that because I would have hated to record since June and people are like, we hate this stuff. So far, so good. Obviously, there's no case study of people who followed it yet because it's just being released, etc. But like, yeah, it's just to give you a bit of a teaser. If you're interested in that, this will come out in January. We're not going to go further in the promo of this. We're just going to talk about niche research now. And I think before we've done podcasts about this several times before. So to start this podcast, I wanted to talk about what has changed because a lot of things have changed lately and have changed the way you consider a niche, not only in the news. And of course, we're going to talk about pandemic and all that stuff, et cetera, but also in the affiliate space. For example, my first point actually is that at this point, it's time to admit that big media is a big player in terms of affiliate SEO and a lot of large publications now are targeting affiliate keywords that they were not doing even two, three years ago. It's pretty like, you know, all they were just starting at that point, but it was not something that you would have to like consider. Whereas now I think they're really in it. And, and there's- I was just looking at this before the, the show and literally the first keyword I put in, the first thing that came up uh, to my head was best vacuum cleaners. And the sites ranking for that, it was such a, so they're like vacuum specific sites, 
But then there was like national newspapers here in yeah. the UK had like vacuum reviews. You've got New York Times, CNET, which is like technology site. I mean, didn't know it had appliances. Business Insider, like what the hell does they're, that have to do with They're on every that's a Business Insider, you know? These big publications that have super high authority and lots of links and can just pump out content and rank for many keywords, they've realized that there's more money in going for these high traffic, high commission affiliate high terms intent, yeah. than there is writing actual journalistic content so so it's like i think now i think it's a big shift that we've made when we did the uh, test this time it's like when we did in the 2.0 it was like well this is something that they're starting to do you know it was growing but it, like the wire cutter just had been acquired etc so this was something that's quite new and now yeah as you said for like the really mainstream items like even if you will like best routers or like best monitors or like this kind of like really, really mainstream things that you will find in most houses, you will pretty much find all these massive newspaper sites on page one. But I like that you highlighted that there's also specialist websites that are also rank in between. So there's still room to get in there. But the thing is like, it's quite interesting in terms of niche selection, because when you, let's say you have like a home improvement site as a small publisher, you're very unlikely to rank for best vacuum cleaner. But if you have a vacuum cleaner site, then you are likely to, if you're doing a really good job, compete with these publications. So the way you kind of like refine your niche does matter a lot in that world of big media where essentially Google tends to now put a mix of very specialized websites together with big media sites for very popular queries. And so if you're trying to be that general size where you don't have the, the authority of these big media sites, then you're unlikely to show for these big queries. So that's that's where like it has changed, you know, like the way you the way you pick your niche, etc., has changed quite a bit. The second one is affiliate marketing, affiliate SEO is consolidating. We've talked several times about that on the podcast and professionalizing, right? Essentially, um, more and more sites are owned by fewer and fewer people who just buy the other sites and tend to own two, three, four sites ranking on page one of Google for the big keywords and so on. And so they're able to like have higher commissions and because they make more money from this, then they essentially they're able to spend more money on SEO and get more of this traffic, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? This actually happened to us. We experienced kind of the reverse end of it on the site we sold a couple years back. So it was bought by a competitor in the space, a much larger competitor in the space we're in. And the reason why they were able to outbid absolutely everyone else who, who bid was because they are getting such high affiliate commissions because they're one of, if not the biggest player in that space. So they command a lot of traffic so they can negotiate higher percentages with these networks. So if they only buy our site, nothing changes and they just move our links over to their links rather. And so they get they get the commission bump from having their, their commission. The value to them is just so much higher than the value to anyone else. So this is really the reason why we're seeing this consolidation happen so much in the space. Yeah, I mean, again, it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? It's like a lot of like people will hear that and be like, oh, that's terrible, etc. Consolidation means also that there is also a lot of big money coming in to buy your website and give you a nice exit. And as I said, there is ways to go in and even go for these big keywords provided you kind of like understand these specialist versus mainstream sites and how Google is structuring SERPs, etc. It's good. It means more and more big money is coming in. It means selling your site. You're going to sell your sites for more and more money to these people. And I think the small publishers, essentially, that's going to be the game, right? It's going to be essentially feeding the big buyers, the big site, the big media companies with sites that you've made 
taken off quite well. Maybe you can get exits up to seven figures even. And these people buy it and then just use their whole network to essentially profit from that and maybe don't even bother with creating sites anymore, but rather just buy from them. So I think it's creating a whole economy like that. It doesn't mean people won't make money, but it just means that the game is changing. And that's exactly what that section is about, so it's great. Another thing that is quite obvious that everyone knows about is the Amazon commission changes, right? It's like essentially since how many months has it been now? Seven months, something like this? Eight months? Yeah, it was uh, April this year. Yeah, Amazon has greatly reduced a lot of affiliate commissions. And that means that it's not variable for all niches. And it means a lot of niches are actually without really great affiliate options as well. Or like it's definitely a lot worse than it used to be. So considering the potential payouts, it's it's going to change the way you pick your niches. And that's something to consider when you pick a niche these days is like, well, Amazon versus the alternatives. And you're going to be looking a lot more at the alternatives of Amazon than you used to because Amazon was such an easy blanket monetization that now pays you quite a bit less. Still valuable. You can still build Amazon sites and do okay. But yeah, it's less good. Just to add to that, I think Amazon always, generally speaking, always paid less than finding these better single product offers and affiliate programs. It's just, it was so easy to to join Amazon and get like a decent payout that a lot of people would just kind of leave it there. They wouldn't go out and start finding and testing these other programs and these other offers um, because that was difficult and that was a lot of work. Why not just put up another 50 articles and you know stick some Amazon links on? That seems like a better way to increase revenue. I think it's two things so, as well. It's like, you remember how we talked about like people used to do broader sites because they didn't compete with these big media sites, et cetera. So you would do that. And then because you had Amazon, you could monetize pretty much anything, you know? So you used to have a very wide range of products you would recommend. I mean, if you remember like Health Ambition, we were going from like mattresses to juicers to whatever, et cetera. It's not really how you do this anymore. Now you kind of focus on a few programs that pay a lot of money and try to like kind of narrow it down and get the high payouts on these few offers when you get off Amazon. So I think Amazon gave you a really width of potential topics to monetize that you lost quite a bit with the changes of commissions as well. I would just add to that as well that Amazon should still be used. I yeah. think it's a great catch-all program for any any products on your site, any content on your site where you don't have a specific other affiliate program for. Put Amazon on there. It's a no-brainer for something like that. Yeah, in TAS, I say, I say, look at what your top competitors are doing, basically. It's kind of like a no-brainer. And very often, the top competitors do Amazon. And basically, I tell them when people have Amazon, they either Amazon is still is actually the best option in your niche, which is quite possible, or your competitors don't know better and haven't figured it out yet. But it's still a good idea to start with Amazon and then after to try something else. So it's like I'd, try, I'd write my initial content with Amazon in mind and then after that, once I have some pieces ranking, I get some sales on Amazon, I see a page makes like 100 $200, $300 per month, then I would consider swapping some links and see what's working with other affiliate programs, basically. But we always copy the biggest guys in terms of how they monetize, and that's why you know, looking at your competition is going to be quite important. Let's talk about the next point as well, which is Google YMYL. So I don't know why we wrote YWYL on the notes, but it's YMYL. It's the Mario and Wario of YMYL. But anyway, <laughs> I don't necessarily agree with the with how Google quantifies that, but I definitely agree that something has changed and that in some niches, it's extremely difficult for a small publisher to start ranking when you have no credentials, etc. And most is going to be in health a little bit in finance as well. I think crypto as well has been hit quite hard and so on. Uh, I know I know crypto is getting pretty hot again, so I'm just telling to the people who are listening, you know. And yeah, overall, like showing some 
credibility around what you do is just a good idea, regardless of how Google is monitoring it, because you know that their end goal is essentially to reward that. So however they do it today, maybe tomorrow they'll do it in a better way, and it's going to be quite important. So you need to consider that. I think this is part of an interesting trend, and I think it's a very good trend, in that there's this push for more truthfulness and objective accuracy in search results. I think there were, and there still are, some niches where there was a lot of hearsay, conjecture, pseudoscience was ranking very highly just because it was popular, even though it was not accurate. From a health perspective and financial as well, I can totally understand why Google doesn't want that type of content ranking. But you can see smaller effects of that within certain niches where there are still certain products being pushed as the best when they're clearly not, but everyone's kind of pushing them as the best. So I think you just have to be a little bit careful with with those kind of dynamics and take more of a long-term view. I mean, of course, if you want to sell your site next week, then make as much money as you can now. But I prefer to take a longer, longer-term approach with this and think what type of content are we going to create that's going to last for, you know, many years. Yeah, I think it depends. Again, it's like Google gets tricked by that, right? Because if everyone's saying Bluehost is the best host and Google believes the truth is Bluehost is the best host. Well, not, uh, not necessarily either. because, I mean, in something like that, it's perhaps difficult to query from Google's perspective. I think how they did it with the medical stuff is oh, they you know, to referencing all of yeah. their you know Google Scholar type yeah, uh, yeah. journals and published works basically depends on the niche. If there's like hard science behind it, then usually you're better off sticking with the truth and having credentials. If there's no hard science behind it, usually you're better off just going with the crowd <laughs> because I think that's how Google decides basically. So yeah, I mean personal experience, right? It's like sometimes we gave negative reviews to products. And now negative reviews would not rank because they're negative when everyone else says it's great because they pay a lot of money. So it gives you a bit of an idea. Yeah. My view, though, is that long term, that person oh, yeah, publishing agree. the honest negative review is, is eventually going to come good. That being said, when that happens, all the other people who suddenly are not ranking gonna anymore change. are just going to switch the <laughs> review anyway. So maybe they're better off. It's kind of a, a bit of a moral complex. Yeah, like one. do you want to wait six years for Google to figure it out and then the people fix it in one week, your competitors, <laughs> and then they're back against you? So it's like, and while they rank, they get links. So actually they beat you in link metrics because they are top of Google. Like You know, I will <laughs> say though, I've seen a couple of examples in the IM niche recently with so many courses out there. There's quite a few sites reviewing them and they all say, oh, this is this is great. And maybe put one negative point in there to appear balanced. But the reviews are, are bullshit. They're just trying to make make some, some commissions. I've seen a few sites lately who are actually being honest in their reviews and say, I don't recommend you buy that. And I think the way they monetize that, if they're obviously not recommending people buy, is by suggesting alternatives instead. Yep. So you can be kind of like honest and truthful uh, and accurate while still, you know, making good money that way. Yeah, I think I mean EB's fact is probably who you're singing to. So thinking yeah. about so yeah, he, he writes very good reviews. You guys can check it out if you want. Okay, Mark, what has not changed when picking a niche? Because we talked about everything that has changed, but so the core principle of looking for something unique. I think when I first got into online marketing, I didn't want to pick a niche that someone else would. I want to come up with a new idea or a new take on an existing idea and just be different. I think that's kind of in my personality. I see a lot of people out there that find competition and saying, oh, you know, there's already these people who have these sites or these big sites or other people doing it who have more experience than me. And they, oh, I don't want to do that. 
All those signals are very, very strong indicators that you're about to choose a good niche because the presence of other people in there is a very good sign. So I would say the takeaway there is don't try to be unique and don't try to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, you know TAS in uh, TAS Segundo, I picked the niche we picked just because of one competitor site that's like DR64, I think, or something like that. But uh, HFs reported like 560,000 visitors per month. And we know HFs is massively underestimating. So I estimate they get around a million visits per month, maybe, in a pretty like, you know, one of these targeted niches. And so, and that's literally the one thing that got me excited about it, about this niche. Honestly, if that site wasn't here, it's like I would probably have picked something else. So it's like, yeah, you should be excited by finding your competitors. And if you go through test 3.0, you will see that it's exactly what happens when I go and pick the niche for the case study site. Yeah, so I mean, the next point is follow the money. And I guess it's kind of related to the, the previous point about you're looking for activity in, in a place. But there are plenty of niches out there that people are in just because they love them. I'm thinking like video games are really good yeah. example. Loads I would, of do, I have, would be in there, but like I would never do it. You know? Loads of people have great content about video games on there. And a lot of it's even free. It's not monetized in any way. They're not trying to make it. They just like doing it. It's a kind of hobby. So to compete with that, but coming in with a, a commercial aspect, is just going to be very, very challenging. You know what niche is like that? Gardening. It's like, it was quite interesting. I was looking at a lot of niches. And it's like, you know, most of other niches that are kind of like very info-based, had courses, had all of that, et cetera. In gardening, everyone put everything on YouTube for free. Like everyone. And nobody really monetized, like they monetize with that sense on, on YouTube pretty much. But I could, like there is some gardening courses, but it's poorly made. Like I need to work with Kevin on this, I think. <laughs> because I think there's an opportunity provided you like angle it in a premium way, but there's really, 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 really high quality content about gardening on YouTube for free. And people just like don't monetize it. It's like a pure passion niche. People like very community based, very like benevolent, etc. But there's there's the business sense is, is absolutely atrocious in that niche. And yeah, that's a good example of a niche that does that actually. So the flip side of that is obviously like looking for people and for sites who are in a niche who are clearly making money. You know, they're well monetized. They have email lists. There's products to sell. There are commercial opportunities, affiliate programs, things like that, which are already present there. If all that exists and the people who are building sites in that space are doing so primarily for financial gain. I mean, most people will have some interest in the in the niche they're, they're going into, but primarily if there's if it's a commercial venture, then that's a very, very good signal that you're on the right track and you should investigate that niche further. Another thing you had in there is fads as well, right? It's like like uh, the example I give you in the course is uh, fidget spinners. You know, I'd be like, how would I feel today about my fidget spinner website if I had picked that? So it's like some things are fads, and we mentioned that before in the previous podcast, where like some things are fads, you know they will go nowhere and like in two years nobody will talk about them. But some things are also like upcoming niches that could become very lucrative if you pick them early. And the example we gave in our other podcast was drones. And I think it's a good one. I think drones are not going anywhere. So it's a fairly established sub-niche of photography now, basically. And there is drone services for inspecting batiments. There's all like a building, sorry, and all of that. There's a bunch of stuff. And so, yeah, it's like, it's one of these things where it's like, is this a fad or am I am I early an early adopter in a niche? It's hard to tell usually. Like usually, like it's a it's a bit of a bet you make. And uh, someone was asking actually in the task group, like, oh, like uh, you were talking about these niches, what should I do? And I said, I don't know. It depends how you feel about if you build the whole site and it goes nowhere, it disappears. Like if you feel absolutely terrible about that, don't go in there. But if you actually believe in this 
and then it ends up doing well, then you might end up in a really, really good position. So it's kind of like that flipping a coin part of picking a niche is like when you pick these kind of new niches, like is this a fad or is this not a fad? It's always worth putting your niche and some of the key maybe products or search term for that niche into Google Trends. And that will show you over many, many years, the kind of trajectory of the interest which people have. And if that's flat, if it's going up, that's normally a good sign that's stable or it's increasing. But if it's going down over time, then maybe it's something you don't really want to get into at this stage. Maybe you're a little bit late to the party. Anything else to say on like picking a niche that uh, was, has not changed? Yes. So I think you need to have some interest, some personal interest in the topic. We use this example many times, but when we started a health site like five years ago or something, we're doing a lot of content around juicing on there. And Gail and I both bought juicers and like really and got used into it. used it twice. <laughs> I don't know. I, I use mine like maybe a hundred times or something, but like I figured out how it all works and like everything, yeah. how everything fit together and stuff. But like anyone who has a juicer knows that you had, it that's becomes horrible. too difficult and too much of a hassle <laughs> using it. So you don't get it. But that's beside the point. Get into your niche in some level. I see quite a few people out there who are, they go into a niche they have no personal interest in and that means that the, the their attention to detail in quality is generally poor and their ability to build relationships with other people in the space for say link building or other things is also not that great because they don't really care too much. So if you can pick a niche that you're passionate about or the very least that something that interests you and makes you a bit curious to, to learn more about. Yeah, I think that's the one because a lot of people come in and they just literally have no interest that they can use as a niche. It's like, people are like, oh, I like mobile phone games. I play Call of Duty on my phone or something. It's like, probably not a good niche, you know? <laughs> but it's fine. Like, just pick something that you might be interested in. Like, we've done that many times and then picked it up. And it's like, if you actually research something actively within a few weeks, you can know quite enough to, like, run a site. I mean, I can, I can think of, like, uh, one niche that we run in right now that we don't really practice ourselves, but we know quite a bit because, I mean, at least me and the person who runs the editorial, because we've been, you know, working with experts in there, we've been asking questions, we've been reading other sites, etc. And now, yeah, it's like, I, I feel confident running editorial in that niche. And I'm, I, I find it interesting. I just, I don't practice it myself, you know? Yeah, so the, the other thing that's stayed the same is you need to realistically be able to build a, a credible site. I mean, you mentioned you were able to like get into it by working working with these experts and like kind of getting to know them a bit. But you wouldn't have been able to do that unless it's possible to hire such people and to, to work closely with them. So you, you need to realistically be able to pull a team together that can be credible in a space. And there are certain areas when that's just not really going to make sense economically. Thinking if you want to start like a law blog, um, oh, yeah. getting get into to, to do something very complex with maybe um, like me in, the, in the medical space where you would have to hire doctors and anyone who's going to be very, very expensive, like hundreds of dollars an hour, then you're probably going to struggle to to manage to do that. I think most new law blogs are started by actual lawyers who are looking to kind of escape their city job. So they're essentially working at a much lower rate to, to get things off the ground. So you need to be able to like credibly pull that team together. I think, it's, it's I think really partnering important. maybe in that case could work. Like maybe you do the SEO link building and a lawyer rights or something. I guess it's possible, but like you need to build, to put together some way of being credible, basically. Yeah. Whether that's partnering with someone or paying someone a lot of money if you're happy to do that or whatever. 
Okay, I want to talk about the way I categorize niches in the new authority system because I've changed it a little bit and I think it's quite interesting because each niche has kind of like its pros and cons and like how you do this. It's kind of an easy way, like you can pretty much pick any niche and actually look at, let's do that game. I'm going to explain that to you and then you just pick like random niches and we'll see where they fit in, okay? So the first one is basically broad niches, so that's kind of like the very very broad stuff like health site, fitness site, home improvement site. I put a site example here, so let's just put it as a B-roll and it's going to be verywellfit.com. It's the, it's a site about fitness and health that is run by Dot Dash. It used to be about.com, massive site, gets a lot of traffic and that's exactly the pros of these kind of sites. There's a very high earning and traffic ceiling because the topic is so broad, there's, there's millions of keywords you could write about provided you can maintain your site properly. The cons of these kind of sites, well, you guessed it, it is dominated by massive sites with millions of pages and you are going to be competing against them. And it's possible. It's like, I was thinking about this before the podcast. It's possible to get in there, but you need to be extremely strategic. I think, I think you need to like essentially plan every hub you could build, then check the competitiveness of all of them and just strategically build one tiny hub by one tiny hub and then take that over as a specialist and then eventually just build out the rest of the site as your authority increases. I think it's possible, but it's the most difficult. And I would not recommend that to beginners. It's something that it's like, if I, I wouldn't even, I don't think I would want to do that for ourselves. Like I much prefer picking like small battles that I really win than like trying to pick a massive one. I'd rather pick, you know, instead of building one of these broad sites, we could build three, four small sites that focus on one of these sub hubs of these broad sites. So it's like, you can do that. Some people do that. Some people are successful, but it's getting harder and harder. And it's in my opinion, the hardest, hardest type of niche to go after. The second type of niche is actually one of my favorite ones, which is the problem type of niche. So examples would be fear of flying, cleaning, or get your ex back. That's basically, it's a really big niche actually, get your, get your ex back. And the side example I got for this is cleanipedia.com, which is a site about cleaning stuff. I think, can't remember, Unilever about the site or something, but it's a, it gives you an idea of the kind of site. They focus on one problem, cleaning stuff, and you can write tutorials that sell stuff. So like you could say like how to remove you know, a mold from my walls or something. And then you could like promote products, etc., in there and essentially make commissions. And so through tutorials and through random previews and all that stuff, you can make money. And the conversion is usually really high because people want to get rid of a problem, how to get rid of humidity in my apartment and stuff like that. Like people need to get rid of that or they lose something. And the fear of loss is usually the biggest conversion factor. So these niches are really good. And you can kind of like niche down here. You can pick something quite small, still find like a hundred keywords, write about it, rank for most of them and have pretty good revenue for that. The cons of this is it is a pure SEO game. The way people solve these problems is pretty much 99% Googling it. So if you don't rank on Google, you're basically making no money. Other types of niches will have other avenues, other ways of monetizing, etc. You could do products in these niches. You could do lead gen in these niches as well, like getting rid of bed bugs and stuff like that. Like you could do stuff like that, but very often you are very, very, very reliant on Google. And if you don't rank, you're fucked. So that's basically the problem niche. I like it personally. I don't mind. Doing I, I think it's great. Yeah, because people are they're going to Google something because they have a problem and they, exactly. they need a solution often really fast and urgently. And it's like a big deal that they want to want to solve this problem. So they're they're ready to to fork over some money. It's a good affiliate niche. Need. It's good for affiliates. Like this is like perfect. Yeah. The next type of niche is can do affiliate, but it's not only affiliate. It's the community type niches. So the examples I have on the notes is DJing, 
gardening. And I actually put Atari Hacker in there because essentially it's a community niche. Like people are part of this community and they know everyone and, you know, everyone knows everyone, et cetera, and uh, hangs out, et cetera, and communicates a lot on social media. There's a lot of platforms where people are chatting about stuff and groups and things like that. Social, like, Basically, it's funny because SEO is a social niche. That's the funny part, right? And that's that's cool because at the beginning, you don't have to rank on Google to do quite well. There's there's actually several of our competitors that don't really rank very well on Google. I'm thinking about income school right now, like literally just saying it out. But income school, they're not doing super well in SEO, but they're doing really well on YouTube. And let's consider YouTube half SEO, half social, you know? And they have a great following. They're doing really well. They're doing really cool stuff, etc. But they're not. they can do well without the Google stuff because they have developed the community stuff really, really well. So that's kind of the pros of that. It's like you get multiple traffic avenues, etc., And it's great to monetize with products, usually these kind of niches. Like you can do affiliate, right? It's like we could write about keyword tools or let's say you have a gardening site, you can write about the best shovels or whatever, whatever you want to talk about. But it's better to monetize with products in the end. People make more money either with e-com or with info products in these niches because you tend to, if it's community-based, you retain people by capturing them to your email list, to your Facebook audiences, to your uh, Google audiences, and retarget them and sell them stuff tends to be the best way to make money. The problem with these niches is if you are the kind of like faceless affiliate entering these niches, it's much harder to do well than if you put your face forward and you essentially like, you know, you need to put yourself forward or have like a face of your website. And people tend to follow people in these kind of social niches. So it's harder to just be a brand you know, put like a site name and then like no auto name or just a photo in your bio, etc. It's much better to do videos. It's much better to be on social. It's much better to do podcasts. It's much better to do all that stuff. And that's how you tend to do well. So these niches for people who like to do these things are great. Like it's, I would recommend going for these kind of niches if you want to do all this stuff. But if you want to do a pure SEO game, I don't want to talk to anyone. I want to just outsource content and publish it and build links and rank and get a check at the end of the month. Probably not, you know? That's essentially the community niche. Then the final niche category is going to be the product niche. And it's pretty simple. I have drones, I have alarm systems, and I have vacuum cleaners in here. It's because we talked about vacuum cleaners. And my site example here is safewise.com. So they do alarm system reviews. And this is commercial by nature, right? You just talk about a product category. We are a site about drones. We talk about drones. DJI released a new drone. We're going to review it. We're going to compare them, DJI Mavic Air 2 versus DJI Mavic Mini 2 or something, and like which one is the best, etc. And then just have affiliate links and people buy. And again, the cons of this niche is that it is a pure SEO game again. There is a degree of, you could argue there is a degree of community in some niches. I think drones, for example, is a good example, where there would be a degree of community. But I don't think there's a community for vacuum cleaners. Like, I mean, I'm sure we could find it. But I don't know how active that is, etc. So it tends to be more of a, of a Nessio niche, you know? Actually, so I recently bought a Roborock vacuum cleaner after your recommendation. <laughs> and I joined this Facebook group. It's like Roborock owners or something. And there's 35,000 people in it. And they're all talking about like the optimal ways of using it over Never two mind, floors then. and the mapping technology and that. So I know, but it's people who have it already. Right? Out it's like, for, it's a weird one because there's communities where it's people who already own the product. I don't know. I joined it before I owned it to like scope it out and like see what people really thought of it. So I yeah, but would you have clicked on like an affiliate link and bought from there? Like how would they monetize? Let's say I own the group. How do I make money? You know, I mean, with affiliates. Yeah, I agree, but I think I think you're better off just focusing on ranking for these niches. I think you'll tend to. Oh, hundred percent, you're better off. 
Yeah, but rankings, it, doing know. maybe YouTube video reviews. I think YouTube is the place where you do content with product niches as well. I think the point I was trying to make is that within each it of these happen, categories, yeah. which we've created, there's elements of the others going to be in there. It's not like a hard silo kind of thing. Yeah, of course. And, and you know, it's like you could be like 80% in one. Like, you know, you could argue that this Roborock one is like, 80% product, 20% community or something, because there's some kind of aspect of like programming your vacuum cleaner to do that job, et cetera. And that's kind of like info-based and stuff like that. So, but most of the time, most niches fall into one of these. So actually, yeah, take random niches and let's see, let's see what, what they would fit in. Like just think, think about a few and let's see what happens. Paintball. Paintball would probably be community, actually. It's like it would probably be people talking about the rules, people talking about the clubs as well, because there's a lot of teams, stuff like that. There's a competitive aspect to paintball and so on. So you would have a product aspect when you review the guns, etc. But I would classify it as a community niche. As I said, in gardening, you can review shovels, etc. Well, that would be the same here, you know. DIY arts and crafts. That's also community. Like that's typical, like extremely active social communities. You can sell info courses there, you can you capture an audience and then you monetize them. So that definitely goes into community as well, actually. Cars. Cars is product. If it's only, obviously there's an aspect of community here as well, obviously. There's an aspect of, obviously of people like, you know, people tuning their cars, it depends. I think car, actually cars is a broad niche. I was wrong. Cars is like falls in the broad uh, category. And then you could say like, Volkswagen cars, for example, and that would be like a product product slash community, I think. Like this one, I would say it's a bit in between, but yeah. That's it. Let's stop it here. Weight loss. Weight loss is a problem niche. It's like, I want to lose weight, emerge, like, you know, it's like people have the urge of trying to lose weight. That you will probably be high conversion to that traffic and you can write tutorials, you can write all of that. So it goes the same as the clean. You're right to an extent. Yeah, but there's a bit of community. When people, always, when, yeah. when people are like, oh shit, I'm overweight. I want to lose weight. I'm going to... Google how to lose weight and they get into it that way. That's like the problem end of it. But you also have the people who are, you know, they just love going to the gym and CrossFit and, you know, these, these kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, but that's not weight loss. Like what I would consider weight loss is someone who's like, oh shit, I'm fat. And then uh, I need to lose weight. Like I feel bad. Like someone called me fat in the street, something like this. And then just like feel self-conscious and then decides that they need to lose weight and starts like searching around for it. Obviously, there's a community aspect of it, people losing weight, sharing this. Social media essentially covers most niches to some extent, but it's, yeah, in my opinion, it's a problem niche. It's kind of like same also as like fear of flying, for example, you know, you can sell courses, you can do all that. So yeah, I think it falls into problems mostly as a dominant, at least. How's your fear of flying these days, Gil? Uh, not so bad, actually. It's a lot better than it used to be, actually. Obviously, I haven't tried in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have tried at the beginning of 2020, but that's it. Maybe I'll just go have a dinner in a plane like they do or something these days, just to, to help with that, you know? So most, the thing is, that's interesting with these niches is that while the way you're going to start most of these sites is quite similar, the way you're going to grow them after is going to differ a bit, right? So most of these niche types of niches, you can still do you know, random previews to start with and like build some info content and et cetera. So that doesn't change too much, but that is kind of like what you do after that and how you kind of expand after. Like you, you start your view one of the site is the same, but then if you have a community niche, maybe it's a good idea to, let's say, like start a Facebook group and then start capturing emails on your site and then invite people to that Facebook group, right? If you have a 
product niche, then probably you're just going to focus on writing more and more single reviews, maybe. Like every new model that comes out, you're going to build an internal system to review every single new model of whatever popular brand of that product that comes out, right? If there's a problem niche, maybe you're going to write tutorials that do affiliate sales and you're going to find all the questions that people ask around the problem and then do that. So it's like, there's kind of like, you start the same, but then you can branch out slowly depending on the type of niches and kind of like plan your site a little bit differently. And it's it's nice to be able to put yourself in one of these archetypes to have a path of growth, basically, I think. And obviously, this is all mental framework, so it, it can be debated. It's one of the first things I say. I said the whole, the whole niche selection is a mental framework. There's no right or wrong, and you can break every rule. But yeah. But overall, I quite like the way it's systematized. Let us know in the comments on YouTube what you think. But I, the next question I wanted to ask, which I think is a question a lot of people will ask at this point in the podcast, because we've talked a lot about it, is how niche down should you go, right? Because essentially you have the very broad niches, so like home improvement, for example. But then you could focus on just one room. You could focus on kitchen or bathroom, for example. Or you could focus on a single product within that room. You could be focusing on showers. You could be focusing on toilets. There's, there's a lot of toilets, it's actually, we saw that. Previously, you could just focus on one of these things and literally build your site just around that. So it's kind of like that question, like you kind of like find that vertical and you just like map out all the sub verticals that there could be in there. And the question is like, where do I position my website? How deep do I go? And the thing is like, it depends. <laughs> and that's it. Thank you, guys. Thank you for coming for the podcast. <laughs> no, it depends on the niche. I think what Ask you ask a thousand SEOs <laughs> a question, 9, 999 of them will tell you it depends. No, I think the main criteria for me to start a site is there is enough monetizable keywords. And it and that's why it depends, right? It's like, for example, toilets is big enough for having like because there's like best toilets for small bathrooms, best toilets with flush, with no flush, with the flush in the wall, with the flush, with like a low low water consumption, dry toilets, uh, toilets when you have no evacuation drain or something like self composting toilets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. RV toilets, da 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 da. da. <laughs> you can keep going, right? Outdoor toilets, Turkish toilets. I'm not gonna do all of this, but you get the idea. You could write a lot of content about that, but there's. Product categories where it's not necessarily gonna work. I'm trying to think of one, but it's it's kind of difficult. Maybe like ironing boards. I don't know anything about that niche. Maybe I'm wrong, but like I'm not sure. Like I'd find maybe 50 best keywords for ironing boards, right? And then I'd probably I'd probably consider these too small. And maybe I would make a site more about just laundry in general. And then we could talk about washing machines and then dryers and ironing boards, etc. So that I together I have enough keywords while at the same time being more focused than home improvement, which is a really broad niche where you're going to be competing with the biggest sites and you're going to be unable to compete. So yeah, so maybe I would consider that. So usually it's kind of nice to like go as low as you can, then be like, I like to give myself a timer, right? Let's say you have two hours to find 50 commercial keywords where you can really monetize it. Like you can, you have a chance of ranking within a year or something. Like let's say there's a bunch of low DR sites on page one and there's enough traffic so that you would make money and you know which affiliate program you would send them to, right? And I mean, for me, I take two hours. If you've never done that, maybe it's going to be half a day or something like this, whatever. But that's the kind of way I'm doing this. And if I can't, it's okay. I don't like force it. If I, at the end of the two hours, it's not done. I'm like, okay, well, maybe we should look one level above. And like, that's when I go from ironing boards to like laundry. And then I do it again. I'm like, okay, can I, I just, I'll take my laundry board keywords that I found and I'll try to add some more on the topic of laundry and see if I find enough monetizable keywords. 
And if I do, then I'm like, well, I, I could consider that as a niche. Usually that's my number one criteria is going to be, can I find enough of these keywords? And as I said at the beginning of the podcast, you know, it's like a lot of these bigger keywords, you tend to have either really broad sites ranking. So like Business Insider, CNET, et cetera, et cetera, or very specialized sites. So your goal is to be as specialized as possible while having a broad enough scope that you can grow your site to make, you know, at least like, let's say low five figures is I think a good goal for most people. Like be like, it could make 10 grand a month or something that side. Then I think it's, it's kind of a good goal. And that's kind of how you choose the positioning of your site. And obviously it's hard because you don't just look at a keyword and you know how much you're going to make, right? So it's a massive guesswork here. But that's why I like the idea of like, I find 50 keywords that could work. And then if I do, then, then I'm happy with that basically. Any question on this? Like, would you agree? Do you disagree? I don't know. Okay. Well, you, you seem very interested in that debate, obviously. I think it depends on your ambitions as well, right? It's like, do you want to get really, really rich? Do you want to replace your job? Your job, Or do you want to just make some side income money, you know? Part of my problem with this is that if you're not experienced in online marketing, you often don't really know what's achievable. It's very difficult to say whether I'm going to be successful in the shower, the bathroom, or the home improvement niche, because you think, I don't even know if this whole thing works. I don't even so know. So usually the way I tell people in, is like, try to find two or three DR 35 or lower sites on page one for that keyword. And then I believe that if you follow our link building stuff, et cetera, you know, within a year, it's possible to get around that level of authority or close enough that you'll be able to compete. That's basically the way. I tell people who know nothing about that stuff. So it's like, look at Ahrefs, type that keyword. Do you see three sites below DR35 without too many links to that one page that's ranking, right? Because otherwise maybe it's links to page that really matter. So like if it's mostly the domain authority that's mattering here, like if they're below 35 and there's several of them, then I think it's possible. It's kind of like the simplest way of explaining. Obviously, it's a very simplified way of explaining things and a million things could change. And I tell them as well to look at a minimum threshold of traffic. I can't remember what the, what number I give in the course again. I think it's 150, but I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. Around that. And because Ahrefs gives you a traffic number. So I'm like, okay, if these low DR sites are getting quite good traffic and they're ranking on page one, not because of links to page, and it's a good it's a, a keyword with intent, then let's count this as one keyword. Let's find several of these to validate the niche. Do you think there's a, a risk of people going too far, like niching down too much? Yeah, but that's why we do the site planning before we even build the site, right? So like before people build their site, they literally have to plan every page of the V1. And usually if they matched all these criteria, I think even if there's no more keywords, let's say they used all the keywords for the version one of their website, which I think I recommend 50 pages in the course. I expect they'll at least make like three to five K a month, let's say, even if it's like a not so great niche. It's like if they fold everything, I expect if that if they rank for their keywords. And at that point, it won't be a terrible investment, especially if they if it's their first site, especially considering the experience they got, etc. Let's say everything is worst case scenario. Like I think a lot of people will still be happy with their first site making this much money per month, provided they do okay with SEO. And it's kind of like the way I'm looking at this, right? Like, you know, we have these case studies in H Pro, right? It's like I was looking at it because I was working on the sales page for test today. And there was this, this guy, Gunnar, who has a site with only 150 pages, who was making like 30 grand a month or something. So it's like, it's also like, it shows you that, yeah, the, it, you could also make a lot more with 50 pages. But I'm expecting, yeah, like worst case scenario, maybe 2.5k, 3k, if they actually rank for the keywords and they pick the right keywords at the beginning, basically. Which is still, you know, yeah, a good amount of money. I mean, that's a six-figure site right there. Exactly. Like, it's like, and if it's your first experience, it's your first experience. It's better than our first experience. So it's like, I wouldn't feel bad about such an experience, right? But like, 
I think we're quite clear about tasks that like we're not teaching you to build a site that's going to make a million a month necessarily. Like you can, I actually tell people like increase these numbers if you're more ambitious. Usually like when we're at that point, I'm like, if you're more ambitious, just like, yeah, you want not 100 traffic on Ahrefs, you want at least 500 traffic and try to find this many keywords. And now it's going to be harder and potentially you have a bigger niche that can make more money, right? But the goal for tasks is to achieve job replacement income. And I'm very clear with that. That's what I intend people to do. So it's like they could just have their site and it would replace an average job income. So usually do, I put about like three, three to five K, something like this, you know? Like I think that's where I would consider most people in the world would consider this equal or better to job replacement income. Like, you know, you have to make these kind of editorial choices when you make these kind of courses, especially when you build frameworks from scratch, teaching very esoterical things. You I know? think that's good. I mean, without getting into too much of a, a sales pitch, like, there's a lot of courses out there that are just like, here's a ton of SEO information. Yeah. yeah. Up, and you're going to have to figure out, put together. It's like, well, here's the exact kind of model you you use if this is your your yeah. desired outcome. Now we're getting into like what we decided for the course. I mean, it's interesting to talk about that too, but like, yeah, there's, there's definitely like times where, you know, you sit at your desk or you're preparing the course and you're like, okay, like, where do I set the limit? What is worst case scenario for people? Does it still fit within the framework that we've set for the course? And at the same time, how do we make it? Because that's the thing, right? I could try to push people to be more ambitious, but then the success rate would also be lower, right? So you kind of yeah. like trade that off. Essentially, the, the easier you make it, the more people make it, but the total, the result might be a little bit lower. But then the more challenging you make it, then the less lower amount of people makes it. So it's always a trade-off when you do this kind of teaching. And it, it's, yeah, I mean, I spend days banging my head on the wall. I think once people get to that sort of like break-free freedom level, yeah. then they're inclined to start taking more risks at exactly. that point in time. And then they so can either sell sense. their site, start something new, or grow their existing site, which in 99% of the cases, there's no way you just find these keywords and there's nothing else, right? You've seen the case study site for tests, like, I believe we can build a, a 500 plus pages site with that topic that we've picked for that site, for example. Uh, so you can either do that or you can literally just start a second project in parallel as well, right? So it's like, but I think achieving freedom is the, the goal here. And it's like some people become millionaires from that, it happened. But it's not the prime goal of the course. The prime goal of the course is to take as many people as possible and free them of their jobs, you know? So, yeah. And so I want to take this opportunity to transition to the next topic, which is adapting the niches to your personal situation, right? And that's kind of the, the again, we were talking about all of this, but it's kind of a trick when we teach the authority side system, right? It's recorded videos and some people come and they already know stuff and some people have literally barely know how to use their computer. You need to target both. And so when you pick your niche, it's very important to consider that as well, right? So if it's your first site and you are, you're on a Chromebook and you don't know really much how to use your computer, or like you've never edited an image on Photoshop or never done any of these basic, basic things, you should probably not go into finance. And then if you're someone that already has achieved fairly good success with affiliate marketing or just websites in general, you are SEO, you've ranked client size, whatever, et cetera. Don't pick the tiniest niche. In my notes, I put pizza ovens. But like, you know, don't pick the tiniest niche expecting to make millions as well, right? And that's why, that's also where taking the time to plan your niche and understand the keywords, doing some keyword research before you even buy a domain, before you do all these things, et cetera, gives you kind of a vision. And what I tell people is to start to research many niches at the same time, because the only way you're going to gain insight into how good niches are is by comparing them to each other, right? It's like when you see these niches, oh, this, look, oh, this is like, I found like 20 low KD keywords with more than 500 traffic on Ahrefs 
in 10 minutes. Whereas this other niche, it took me like two hours to find five keywords and they actually have less traffic. Oh, this other niche is obviously way better. But that's really how you end up making that decision. And that's why we want people to uh, look at many niches. When I start the side, the, the course, when I start the niche selection process, I start with 25 niches in the task actually. So that's how it goes. And then I just slowly narrow it down and then eventually we pick a niche. So I think you need to understand your level and you need to research multiple niches to actually pick something that's correct for you. And another thing that I wanted to say to adapting it to yourself, and we kind of mentioned it earlier, is like, what do you want? Do you want to make side gig money? Do you want to make like 500 bucks on the side? Do you want to replace your job income? Again, I said three to 5K a month. Or do you want to get filthy rich? Do you want the $20 million villa in Los Angeles with uh, three Teslas in a garage and uh, all of that, et cetera? Like, which one do you want? If you want the last one, you probably need to do it really well on a broad niche site, which is the hardest type of site. So usually there's a trade-off, right? Your success rate will decrease as your ambitions increase, provided the base level. It's not always the case, right? If you do good research, you will find that's what good research does, right? It finds this kind of like irregularity in the scaling of difficulty against rewards. And you kind of like find, you have that 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 line, you know, like it's like the harder it gets, the more money you make. And you put, you plot niches around, right? And some niches are below. So it's like you make more money for less difficulty. And some niches are way above where it's like very difficult and you don't make that much money or something like that. And your goal with niche research is essentially to find a niche that plots a little bit below the line. So you get more reward for the effort you put in than the average of niches. And so you got to ask yourself what you want here. If you just want side income money, you might be able, it might be better to go for these tiny niches, niching down a lot, have a very high success rate, like you know, really quickly without building some links, etc., and achieving your goal. Uh, whereas if you want to get filthy rich, then well, just get ready to put a lot of work and actually a pretty high chance of failure if your goal is to make let's say a hundred million dollars or something like that, like really a lot of money, then your chances of achieving that is the you know it's still higher than building the next Instagram, but it's probably less than one percent, you know? There's also a play there where you're building multiple easier to, yeah. to get their kind of sites as opposed to build and sell as well, right? Build and sell site. as a model yeah. is like a, is a big one, especially playing into that consolidation of the market and just supplying the buyers with sites, I think is a really good strategy as well. But then that's when you go probably for the task, like pretty much task is this job replacement income. And that's the kind of scale at which you go if you want to play that strategy, right? Your goal is not to, it's like, of course, some people make that like seven figure exit, but the goal is really to make many six figure exits when you go for that strategy and making sites that make between three and 15k a month. I think that's that's the range that you're probably aiming for when you're selling. And then you do that 10 times and then you made a lot of money, you know? So that's... Something to ask yourself, how to adapt this? What do you want? How much money do you need to make from this? And then find that number and then pick the lowest difficulty for that goal so that you have the highest chance of success, basically. I think the last thing that you want to adapt is how much you want to put yourself forward, right? And it's like we talked about community niches versus like product niches, etc. There is niches where you will need to push to be the face or work with someone who is the face. And there's niches where you can just be the manager behind the scene. And really, like, you don't have to push yourself forward. And a lot of people tend to pick the niches that don't match what they want. And it's quite important. Like, if you go into fitness, for example, it's very hard to make a fitness site when you're not jacked as hell on Instagram, etc. I mean, you can rank for some keywords, etc. But you will definitely not reach the earning potential if you don't have that personality, if you don't have all of that, etc. 
that you would have if you had it, right? And it's important to understand that for the niches. Same for gardening. There's a lot of like people who have like strong personalities out there. And it's like, I see that. And it's like, it would be quite hard to do that. But at the same time, if you are in some other niches, I'm trying to think about it in hosting, for example. Like if you're just like product niche hosting, really high pay niche. You don't have to put your face anywhere. You just have to have really good data on your website. You could even pay content creators to make like to make YouTube videos. People don't really care who makes the video, etc. There's not uh, the only one I can think of that does like YouTube content that gets good following around hosting might be WP Crafter. But the rest, yeah, it's like uh, I don't think it's that competitive in terms of like having to put your face forward and you can make a lot of money. So pick your niche that matches that. Look at your competition. Do they have a strong face forward and does it seem to work with the audience or does it not matter? And then depending on what you want, pick that, you know? A few other things that you should think about when you pick a niche is one, seasonality. It can be a killer, right? It's like, again, I'm going to stick with gardening because we mentioned that niche many times, but gardening is typical. Like in the winter, it's like it makes a lot less money than it would make in the spring or summer because people buy seeds and equipment and all of that at this point, and then they just buy nothing during the winter. So you're going to have your revenue just go like that. And the problem with seasonality is that... It's easy to fuck up a year if you end up not performing very well during the few months that really matter, right? So if you're, if you're in gardening, but you don't rank well in uh, April, May, June, you're in trouble for the whole year, actually, because a lot, like maybe 50% of your reality revenue comes through these three months. So you are more prone to essentially volatility in revenue, and you need to do well on Google during these few months, because otherwise you might be in trouble. The second thing to consider still is how evergreen the niche is and the content. Because if you go in laptop reviews, for example, as a product niche, well, guess what? There's new laptop models every single month, and there's a lot of them. And then processors. I mean, now you have Apple, AMD, and Intel, each releasing multiple times per year, and brands like Lenovo, etc., refreshing their models pretty much every time there's a new release. So there's a new model every three to four months for the same skew for the same model, you know? And so you will need to re-update your content because laptop enthusiasts will know about that. If your content is outdated, nobody's going to take you seriously and you'll probably not convert. I mean, I get on one of these sites, I'm like, okay, I know you're like, you're, you're still mentioning age generation Intel. I'm like, sorry, we're done here. <laughs> we, don't, we can't talk anymore. So it's like, you got to consider that when you do that. It's quite important. And that's why we tend to prefer to recommend Evergreen Niche at the beginning because you don't have as much pressure to update your content more regularly. The other thing to think about is YMYL. Obviously, Google seems to, in some niches, just favor big sites only, like health niche is a good one, for example. I challenged to Google a health problem and to find a SERP with a tiny site ranking for an actual medical problem. Like it's it's going to be almost impossible to find. It's going to be Healthline on top, then Mayo Clinic, then uh, WebMD, and then whatever, but like something like that. So you need to consider that. I would just recommend avoiding these niches, right? So it's a test we do. It's like, I'm like, let's Google some keywords. If you only see big sites and you don't see any small site, let's just not bother. Because it's like, the truth is SEOs don't understand the algorithm that well yet. And I'm not going to pretend I have the solution to this. And a lot of people who pretend they have the solution to this don't seem to really have it. They say they work on page speed and stuff like that. I'm sorry, that's not the problem. If you're a beginner, you'd rather just not deal with that. You had some points in there as well, so go ahead. Yeah, so I also want to talk about the difficulty in hiring writers. That's a very important thing, I think, going in into it. You need to, if you want to outsource the content and not write it yourself, you need to know that you're going to be able to hire 
good writers who are topic experts on the topic for a reasonable price. We mentioned before, you know, people like lawyers or medical experts can be prohibitively expensive. And just finding people who are, are really good at something can also be challenging in some, particularly in some of these kind of like passion niches. So something worth considering as well. Another thing worth considering is the difficulty or the cost of link building. So if you're in a niche which has a lot of paid links going on, and you're not comfortable with that, then you need to factor that in. Also, if you are paying for links, then you need to factor that in as, as a cost. Like how much is that gonna cost you? How many links are, are you gonna need? Are there enough places to get them from? Or are you gonna have to kind of like do a lot of cross-niching type stuff, which you know still works, but maybe links are a little bit a little bit less less relevant. Yeah. Okay. Let's wrap up this podcast. But actually, for people who stayed this far, we're actually going to talk about how to find niches, which I was hesitating to put at the beginning or at the end, but at the same time, it's kind of interesting to bring it up now, now that we've talked about like what to look for, et cetera. I'm going to give you, there's a lot of strategies in tests, like became a lot bigger module finding niches, but I'm going to give you three really good ones. The first one, I've actually made a whole YouTube video on this. So I'm going to put a card on YouTube so you can go click and watch that. It's actually our most popular video ever, I think, since we started YouTube again. And that's reverse engineering affiliate offers. So actually you can take pretty much any affiliate link and Affiliate links are essentially tracking domains, right? So they're like, usually there's like gibberish domains that an affiliate network takes, but they, they always use the same domain, right? And then it's just like something at the end. But you put that domain into Ahrefs or SEMrush or whatever you prefer, and you can see all the sites that link to it. And all the sites that link to it are affiliate sites um, because that's the only thing, the only people who link to a tracking domain is like sites trying to make money with the affiliate program. So then you can export it, play in Excel, you know, filter it for DR, filter it for traffic, etc., and then start to look at these sites and look at what niches they're in. So if you do that on big networks, you can even do it for Amazon. If you put amzn.to on Amazon, I think I got like 500,000 sites. Into Ahrefs. Yeah, into Ahrefs. I got 500 plus thousand sites. Like it's like even the Excel file was quite difficult to filter because it was just so much. And then you can just look at what niches they're in, which ones get the most traffic. What I like to do is I like to filter for like low DR and then I like maybe like DR below 20 and then I order by traffic. And then I just see which sites are low DR but get a lot of traffic. And then I look at what offer they're promoting because I just need to click on the link and I see which offer they're promoting. So that's my number one favorite way of finding niches these days. The second one that I like is going through marketplaces. Like I read Empire Flippers, Flippa, etc. And I look because people have to put some data on there, even if in like a lot of marketplaces, they won't tell you the exact niche, you know, they'd say like outdoors or something like this. If you read the description, very often you can have a pretty good guess and they have to give some information to essentially bring buyers in. So you're not going to copy this site because you will usually never know the URL of that site, but you're going to get a good idea of where to look and then you can start Googling keywords related to the niche and you can essentially find sites to look at deeper and then figure out the niches basically. And the third way that I like to find niches is to use legal disclaimers in quotes on Google. So can't remember exactly the quote for Amazon, but like I earn commissions through Amazon affiliate program or something. As an Amazon affiliate, I earn commissions from qualified purchases. Something like that. So like you get this one from the Amazon TOS, and then you just put it in quotes in Google, <laughs> and you can put a keyword next to it. So you can put like this disclaimer, and then maybe like weight loss or whatever you want, etc. And you could find a bunch of sites and like start looking at them, and you know they are affiliates because they have the disclaimer, and that is indexed by Google. I do that for ad networks as well. I do that for pretty much. Every time there's a service that is a monetization service 
that has some kind of legal disclaimer. You can search for it as a footprint in Google. Find all these sites. You can even scrape it with Scrapebox if you want, and then you can filter it in Excel, do all this stuff. But that is my third way of finding niches. All of these are pretty scalable. So I'm going to basically stop here on finding niches because that podcast is quite long. But yeah, that's basically finding niches in 2021. Any final words of wisdom? No. All right, so I'm going to bring Cookie because my dog is actually here doing the podcast because we're doing renovation in my apartment. So the dog was here the whole time. And uh, we're going to come and say goodbye. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this, please drop a thumb up to this video on YouTube. Drop us a comment. Tell us if you found a niche using one of these methods that I shared or if you used another way to find niches. And overall, yeah, like how you find niches, basically. I'd be quite interested to know that. And we'll see you next week for another episode. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.